We're going to see this morning what it takes. We're going to see that quality of a person, the type of person who God would enlist in service in his kingdom. And then, then we're going to see what the implications for you and I are this morning. As we sit here, what is it, what is it that we need when we come into the pressure points of life? What is it that we need to be recognized? What is it that we need to recognize and know so that we can be the kind of person, the type of person that God wakes up in the morning and says, yes, yes, they're my woman, they're my man. So would you join me in God's word this morning? 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in front of you. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Joshua judges Ruth. You're eventually going to make your way to 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel is before 2 Samuel. And I'm going to be in chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16. What we see is that God doesn't choose like we choose. What we recognize is that God doesn't identify uh, the same way we identify. He has a, a different list of qualifiers. Uh, what we recognize is that uh, we choose somebodies, but God chooses nobodies. Now, will you walk with me? 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the king. God is saying, I, I see somebody. I know somebody. I have that type of person. I, I've identified him. He's one of the sons of Jesse. Now, I want you to understand that this is a, a highly political event. Samuel knows that if Saul finds out, he's going to be in trouble. So uh, walk with me now through verse 2. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You're to anoint for me the one that I indicate. And what we're going to find is that God indicates someone that we would never. Samuel did what the Lord said, and he arrived in Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled when they met him, and they asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to sacrifice. And now the story gets interesting. Here are all the sons of Jesse, or so we think. In verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. 
And I want you to skip down with me. The story just keeps going. Then Jesse uh, called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And Jesse then had uh, Shammah pass by. And Samuel said, nope, nope, nor has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And he asked Jesse, "Are, are these all the sons that you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And so he sent for him and had him brought in. And he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and had handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Uh, do, you, do you get the sense that sometimes God chooses those that we wouldn't? That sometimes uh, we would choose the somebodies, and God chooses, it would seem, the nobodies that nobody notices. It, it seems to be that here, doesn't it? I mean, Samuel is a prophet. He's been a godly man. If you read about Samuel in the first half of this book, he's got an incredible story. Uh, He is a godly man, and yet even Samuel, uh, this godly man, seems to miss what it is that God sees. You see, he he is in love with Saul, and he is mourning Saul, and he doesn't want uh, really Saul to go by, and and the Lord kind of uh, comes up and gives him a good kick in the pants, and he says, hey, now stop it, now go on. It's time. I want you to stop mourning over Saul because I've rejected him as king and I want you to get going. You're going to anoint the one that I tell you to. Now go on. And, and the first thing that he does, he, he comes into this town and, and there is Jesse's son. And what does he see? He sees Eliab. He's the firstborn. I mean, uh, the firstborn in that day and, and, and age would be the one that would be likely chosen. And he's big and he's strong and it says again that he had great height. And you can just almost see Samuel go, oh yeah, this is the one. I know it. I'm, I'm ready. I mean, can you see it? I mean, he's, he's got the oil right there in his horn, and he's ready to just anoint Eliab. And, and I don't know how he heard, but there's a, a little audible voice uh, in his ear going, Samuel, it's not the one. And over and over and over again, this happens and this happens. And we see that we, we don't choose how God chooses. We don't identify the way that God identifies. I mean, even Jesse, David's dad, uh, doesn't even think enough of his own son to think, oh yeah, he should probably be here before God's man. No, he, he's just the ruddy one. Uh, he's, he's the junior high kid. Uh, he's the tall and maybe lanky one uh, out in the field. Uh, he's the stinky one with the sheep. He's not the one that, he, that Samuel is concerned about. I am sure of it. I mean, even Jesse, his dad, doesn't see David as any kind of potential king. And yet it was David, the one who was out in the field, the one who was gone, that God says, yes, that's the one. That's the one we've been waiting for. Samuel, I want you to anoint him as the next king. We don't choose how God chooses, do we? 
Have you ever seen that show, Beauty and the Beast? Yeah? Okay, there's like two of you that have nodded your heads, okay? So it's very famous, it's a very old story, Beauty and the Beast, and there's these characters in Beauty and the Beast, at least the one that I'm aware of. And, and there are these two primary male characters. We have Gaston, right? Some of you may know about Gaston. Gaston is like, uh, he is the macho man. I mean, he's got like all the muscles and all the girls kind of want to be with Gaston, and, and, and he is the great hunter and the great warrior, and, and he, is, he is the great political figure. All the other guys want to be like Gaston. And then, on the opposite side of the spectrum, there is the beast. And he's ugly and hideous, and everybody hates him, and nobody wants him, and he is the one that nobody notices. He's the one in the dark castle, and nobody wants anything to do with the beast. And if we're honest, if we're honest, it's Gaston that we choose more often than the beast. Because we see with our eyes, don't we? We look at we look at who they are and say, oh, surely this one. We would choose Gaston. It's been shown socially in the United States at least that when we come to political figures, we generally choose the people that look good and speak good and have the charm. And we're unable to see what God sees. And we are just faced with the fact that we do not choose the way God chooses. There's some people that we would say, oh man, they are so beautiful. They're perfect. They've got all the charm. I wonder in the church sometimes if we choose leaders based on how good they look and, and how well they speak and, and, and how well they, they interact with other people on a stage, this last couple of years, we've seen a couple of megachurch pastors, Bill Hybels, Gordon McDonald, and these fine men, these leaders, all of us would have said, man, we want churches like that. We want to lead like that. We want to have pastors like that. They can speak so well, and they hit the conferences, and they write the books, Yet in the last two years, both of them have been shown to have levels of moral failure where they failed to repent before God. And it seems like what we're, we're wrestling with is that we need to choose differently, that God somehow has a different set of requirements. I work with a guy, his name is David Haynes. If you've been here long, you, you've probably heard me mention David. I heard a story about David this last week that I just did not know. Uh, David went to Ozark Christian College uh, many, many years ago, and what I didn't know is that David just barely graduated. Did you know that? I had no idea. 
I figured, you know, David was like top of his class and, and, you know, everybody wanted David, but that wasn't true at all. Actually, David barely scraped by. He barely graduated. And when he graduated, David wasn't the guy that everybody was going, oh, he's definitely our best. You should definitely think about hiring David. And yet all David has done in 60 years of ministry is plant two churches. All he's done is make sure that he can go out and and talk with people. He's made sure that he's advanced the kingdom by, by securing funding because God has introduced people to him. And you know what? This last weekend at graduation, it was a great honor David got to stand on the stage and we gave him an honorary doctorate. But you know what? Nobody saw that coming. Only God did. Because we often choose the kind of people differently than God does. You see, if we're going to answer this question, you and I have to recognize that God sees differently, doesn't he? I mean, in fact, it says in this text how exactly it is that God does choose the type of person that he wakes up in the morning and says, yes, that's my person. That's my woman. That's my man. That's the person that I'm going to use. He says it plain as day in verse 7. He says, I'm going to choose according to their heart. Would you look with me in verse 7 of chapter 16? He says to Samuel, don't consider his outward appearance The Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He said, don't don't concern yourself with everything else. Don't concern yourself with their, uh, their repertoire. Don't concern yourself with their family history. Don't concern yourself uh, with the the grades on their transcript. I want you, Samuel, to recognize what I see, and what I see is their heart. I'm not looking at the outside, I'm looking at the inside. I'm not looking externally, I'm looking internally. It's inward that I'm looking at. And the heart in biblical terms is really this kind of uh, epicenter where everything begins to connect. It's where the, the spirit, the will, and your choices all begin to connect right there when we talk about your heart. When we talk about your heart in biblical terms, we're not talking about this organ that beats in your chest. We're talking about uh, how it is that you go about making choices. We're talking about how it is that you go about choosing to live your life as a human being in service to God. And so when God says, I'm looking at his heart, he's saying, I see a will that belongs to me. So what is it that qualifies the person? What is it that identifies the person, the type of person that God will use? What is it that qualifies the type of person, the person that God wakes up in the morning and says, they're my woman, they're my man? It's a person whose heart belongs entirely to God. It's a person whose very core of their being, their will and their spirit, desires what it is that God desires. 
And so if you came in this morning and you were thinking, hey, I, I have this desire, I have a, 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 a desire, I want to serve, and I, I want my heart to belong to God's, uh, then what you need to know in, in order to be the type of person that looks at you and says, you, I want you on my team, then you need to know that you need to live in harmony with God. If God says go, then you need to go. If God says uh, jump, you need to say how high. If he says stop, then you need to stop. We had another graduate a couple years ago. His name was Josiah Martin. And, and you should know Josiah. Uh, when he graduated from college, he had long hair and he loved to play electric guitar. And he loved heavy metal music and he wanted to go and bring heavy metal music into church so that other people who don't know Jesus could come to know who Jesus is through heavy metal music. That was his mission when he left. Well, he didn't find a church that way. <laughs> and so he said, you know what, I desire to, to serve God. I, I went here, I did my thing, and I want to serve God. I don't know where God's going to take me, but that's what I want to do. So he signed up uh, for a three-month-long mission trip last summer. And he said, God, whatever it is, I just I want to be in your service. And so uh, he launched off in an entirely different way. It had nothing to do with heavy metal music. Had nothing to do with playing his guitar. He was just going to go to Eastern Europe and he was going to find himself there and try and have conversations with people who were far from God. And his heart led him to where he is today. You see, today he came back, uh, maybe for a month, he raised all of his support so that he could go back to Eastern Europe full time and edit videos that people in Eastern Europe, millions of them, can see videos about Jesus. And he didn't do that because he said, no, God, I'm here to play heavy metal music. I'm here because I really play guitar well. He did it because he has a heart and a disposition to say, I want to be in harmony with God, and whatever it is that you want me to do, I will go. If you want me to go to Eastern Europe and edit videos, then that's exactly what I'm going to do because I desire to have a heart that belongs to you. This morning, as you sit here, what is it that God is asking of you? Uh, maybe it is that you sit here this morning and you have a family member that you need to forgive. Maybe it is that, that, that God, you have this sense that God is asking you to forgive someone else. And you're thinking, there ain't no way. I can't forgive that person. They've hurt me. And yet you have this gnawing sense that God is saying, I want you to forgive that person in your life. And if you desire a heart that belongs to God, and you want to be the type of person that God uses in service for His kingdom, and if God is asking you to go and forgive, then you better forgive. And perhaps it is that you need to reconcile with someone, maybe in your family or maybe at work. And you again have this sense that God is asking you to take the first steps of what could be a reconciled relationship. 
Maybe you and your spouse aren't doing well and you need to take those first steps and reconcile. And you don't want to because you want to hang on to the anger and the bitterness because it's easier. And yet you know what God is asking you to do and, and I'm wondering what's in your heart. Is it in harmony with God that you can be the type of person that He would use in service of His kingdom? And maybe it is that He's asking you to stop something and you recognize something and you've opened up uh, His Word and He has begun to, to teach you and to, to, uh, to, to show you some things about yourself. And you recognize that maybe you're harsh with your children or with your wife or, or maybe it is that he's, uh, he's saying that there's an addiction that you have that you need to take care of. And he is saying, stop. And if you long to be the type of person that God says, you're my, my man, you're my woman, then you stop. You see, there are no locked doors when it comes to God. The person who desires to serve, to be that type of person that God would choose in service for His kingdom is a person who opens up all doors and locks none. Perhaps it is that God is asking you this morning to give in a way that you've not given. Maybe, maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your talent. Maybe it's your treasure. And you've withheld something from God that really does belong to Him. And He's asking for you to steward your time, your talent, and your treasure in a way that you haven't before. And you know what you need to do, but you haven't done it. And if your heart belongs to God, and it's His, and He can see it, then you say, I'll go. I'll stop. I'll give. You see, what qualifies us is not our outward appearance. It's not on the externals. It's not how well we speak. It's not how many times we go to church. It's inward. It's our heart. Does our heart belong to God? And are we willing to do whatever it takes because we sense that He's the one asking? That's what it means uh, when, when God says, I have sought out someone who is after my own heart. To be someone who is after God's own heart is the type of person who will go and who will stop and who will give and who will stay because God is the one asking. So for you and I, what are the implications of all this? If you've come in this morning and said, I desire to be that kind of person, who, the person uh, whose heart totally belongs to God, what, what are the implications? What are the things that, that I really uh, need to walk away with? Well, I think one of the things you need to walk away with this morning is to recognize that uh, we can't be judging other people based on what we see of them on the outside. We can't be too quick uh, to say, no, uh, they're not really a part of God's service. No, they're not really all that important. We have to be very careful to recognize that throughout Scripture, uh, God humbles the exalted and exalts the humble. I mean, Moses, we understand from Scripture, uh, was probably something of a stutter. 
And he said, I'm not, I'm not eloquent in speech and I need someone there. And, and God takes Moses and he takes his whole life experience and he elevates him. And we see that in David, this wonderful story. Uh, we see that David is the guy, uh, he's the one that nobody notices. He's the nobody. And God takes this nobody in loneliness where no one can see. And God does his greatest work in him. And this is what God does throughout Scripture. And perhaps it is uh, that you need to know uh, right now uh, that as you sit here this morning, perhaps you identify as the nobody. You say, I'm a nobody. God doesn't really care about me. I I can't really do anything super special for God. And can I say that's sinful? Because we're talking about the God of the universe here. We're talking about the God who takes a small shepherd boy and makes him king. And if God can do that, he can do anything through you. And so if you've identified yourself as a nobody, then God is probably uh, waiting for you just to turn your heart over to him and say, just watch what I can do. His role is to take nobodies and to make them somebody uh, because they've turned their heart over to him. So be careful. Be very careful. It's, a, it's cliche, I know. Be careful to judge a book by its cover. And I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be comforted. The implication of all of this is that God can use you. If He can use David and He can use me, He can use you. Nobody walked in beyond the capacity for God to use them. And so I want you to know this morning, maybe in all of your weakness and all of your baggage, that you are the type of person that God is ready to use in service for His kingdom. I want to read with you a passage that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, but I want you to stand as we do so. Would you stand with me? Notice what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble of birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Pray with me. Lord God, I thank you so much. And I pray, Father, for all those that came into this room, I pray that we would be the type of people In the pressures of life, I pray that we would be the sorts of people that you wake up in the morning and say, yes, they are my people. They are my man. They are my woman. And Lord, they are yours because their heart belongs to you. Lord, I pray in all the pressure points of life and all the things that will come up that nothing will change our desire 
that our heart would completely belong to you. We love you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.